0: Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience, 20 minutes that simplifies the complex job of managing and leading people and inspires you to take action on what you probably already know, to build and sustain a smart and healthy business. Here's your host, Ed Epley, to introduce this week's guest and business leader.
1: Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience, the podcast designed to simplify the complex job of managing and leading people. Our goal with every podcast is to share at least one proven business practice that will help you build a more sustainable, profitable, and purpose-driven company. Oh, boys. Ladies and gentlemen, today, I had to build up Immunity and strength to be able to do today's podcast and so as i talk more about our guest and with our guest you're going to see why my words for our guest as you know i always start with words i have in my mind about this person number one loyal and i'm talking if there was a way to have more than being loyal as a descriptor this guy's got it he's willing to change and and one of the most flexible people believe it or not Those of you who know him may not think of him as flexible, but he really is. He's extremely teachable, hyper-competitive, and he would admit at times to a fault. But I got to bring back up Loyal again because he is loyal, and he's also become a dear friend. And he's my former partner. His name is Lance Tyson. He's the owner of the Tyson Group, and what a story. We may not get it all done in 30 minutes, but we're sure going to try. So welcome, Lance, to the Ed Epley Experience. Of all
2: the podcasts I do, I was most excited about this one just because of our history. It, we probably could do three hours.
1: We may have to. We'll see if the audience demands a, uh, a do-over, so we'll see see what happens. But welcome. There's a lot of different ways we could start this, but one of the things is I know from our different conversations that we've had, You've been an entrepreneur almost your whole life, but I wonder when you realized you were an entrepreneur. Because I, I I, didn't know I was an entrepreneur when I was raising hogs and had my first couple of businesses. I didn't think of myself as an entrepreneur, but later on, I came to realize I was. How about for you? i
2: answered answer it this way. My, my dad was an entrepreneur, and behind me here, you can't see it, I literally have his ledgers from the 60s when he was in business. And I never—he—he he would always say to me, like, "Look, you'll never make any money working for anybody else." Blah blah blah. So, when I was in, um, I, I can remember trying to start businesses from when I was little to selling hot dogs at the stadium across the street from my house to things like that. So I never envisioned myself working for anybody. I literally quit college. I had two semesters left at Penn State to to start a company called a Lancet Group, and it was right when the wall came down at a was coming down in Eastern Europe, and I was going to import-export. I didn't know a damn thing about it, but I, that's what I was going to do. And, and I started a company. I met with this professor from the University of Pennsylvania, and he told me what that looked like and things like that. So I cold-called companies, never sold a damn thing, and some one of the companies ended up hiring me. So probably 23, 24, I realized that's what I wanted to do.
1: Okay. All right. You've trial and erred, Would you say that? In terms of finding where your sweet spot was, talk to people about your willingness to try a number of things before you found the right spot.
2: So I also had a a huge love in this tight end entrepreneurially of any kind of self-improvement. So the Tony Robbins of the world, the, I just pulled this down from my shelf the other day, which is like, you know. Stephen Covey's uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People probably read it once. Every, it's probably more relevant now than it's ever been. So I had a love for that. And so I decided I, I didn't love being an import-export. I couldn't get excited about it. And I loved being involved in any kind of self-improvement. At one point, I wanted to go to law school just to speak in front of people. So I actually tried to get jobs with Stephen Covey and with Anthony Robinson ended up landing with Dale Carnegie. and in that in that time period also, I had owned I had bought a several uh, apartment units in, outside of Pennsylvania. and I, I I was talking to my wife. I think we owned fifty four apartment units at one time. and I, that was for me watching uh, Carlton sheets on TV where you can you can buy a house, no money down. I followed the formula. I may personally be responsible for the financial crisis. 2008, 2009, because we, they were giving money away. Like, you know, you could you could buy a home and get um, 90% of appraised value and walk away from deal. And that's what we were doing. But I started there. I, I didn't like that business because I always felt contractors were lying to you. I always felt people were lying about their rent. And then I was on the other side selling corporate training. It was a bad, it was a bad mix. It was either one or the other. And I, I didn't like who I was becoming on the rental side of the business. So that's from a flexibility standpoint, that's, that probably tells the whole story.
1: Yeah, it does. I, and I, and all of a sudden i i the two words come to mind, slumlord.
2: It, it's exactly what it was. And it was like, it was, I was telling somebody the other day, I had, this is a very young Lance. So I don't, I don't know if endorse it. Now I had kept having this guy who would um, write me bad checks. And so by, and his rent was like $700. So finally I went, to, he wrote me another bad check. I went to his bank and I said, how much will it take to cover this rent check? And they said it will take another two hundred dollars. So I deposited the money in the guy's account, and then I, then I, um, <laughs> I, I got the money. I got all his money out, and he called me up, and he called me every name he could imagine. He told me how illegal it was, and I said, "Is that any more illegal than kiting?" I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, that was one of those. I remember the banks was a bank called Patriot Bank. I just said, you know, I don't know if I really want to be in this business because, like I said, I like who I was becoming because <laughs> that dark side was coming out of me. Very, easily. because my wife goes, like, "How the hell did that out?" I go, uh, "I don't know."
1: I have never heard that story. And all the time that you and I've been together, I never heard that story. Never. What
2: scared <laughs> me at is the fact that I thought I, I came up with that solution.
1: Oh, it's creative as heck! I I love it. I I, I frankly I'm
2: impressed. Was, you'd be surprised what you could deposit in other people's accounts. That not a
1: problem. <laughs> no. Oh, that's funny. Um, our our audience at this point is is probably starting to recognize you and I have a history. I'm talking to my former partner Lance Tyson. So why don't you tell the audience your version of how we became partners?
2: I need a mark and a target at all times, and I tell everybody I work with I'm I'm a bull that way. I need to see it and. So after I kind of got out of that, that slumlord business, like Ed said, or the um, investing in properties, I'd become a partner in Philadelphia and Dale Carnegie Operations and ended up owning about 30% of the Philadelphia region. And I decided I didn't really want to be a partner with the group. Not that I didn't love the group I was with. I just decided that I wanted to
1: become my own guy. So I, uh, my wife- I, I, I'm going to interrupt. You need to be your own guy. It's not a right. one. It's like breathing air, so you need you needed you needed to be your own guy. I get that.
2: I, I would get fired from a very from. I'd either figure out how to get to the top of a Fortune 500 pretty quick, or they fire in a week. So, so I bought I bought the Cleveland operation and and which was fledging. It was bad. My wife said I couldn't move further than the Mississippi from Philadelphia. So she kind of boxed me in a little bit. I was like, all right. And we bought Cleveland. We made some very simple sales adjustments. We increased sales by almost 300%. And then Columbus was sitting right next to it and was another another underperforming market with the exception of one thing. They had one guy there that Added all the value to the marketplace, and it was a big marketplace. I didn't know much about it, but I knew it was bigger in Cleveland. And I'd found out that Ed Ed was the guy there. He was driving all the business. If the business was doing a million dollars, Ed was doing nine hundred ninety-nine thousand and ninety-nine dollars and ninety-nine cents of it. And so I had had the CEO of Dale Carnegie come to Cleveland for a meeting with all the Ohio. Franchises, and I got to meet Ed there, and I knew he was doing that much business. And I pulled him aside. I said, "You don't know me very well, but it seems like the value of the business is really you. Have you ever?" And I think this was kind of how it went. Maybe not the exact words. Have you ever thought about buying it? And Ed, Ed said, "Yeah," but you know, he's. I think there was also in a spot too that he, that he was comfortable, and nobody was bothering him. And him and I talked about let's let's buy your boss out and. I think John Rockefeller said that if your business is built on friendship, it's destined for failure. But if you develop a friendship from your business, you'll succeed forever. Ed's friendship and I was built on on building a business together, not because we were friends first.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't know. Honestly, Lance, I don't I don't know that I had ever heard of you or knew you till I saw you in Cleveland.
2: I would concur, and I and I I saw you speak one time at a Carnegie event in Minneapolis, and I'm watching you with the headphones on right now and stuff. And I remember when I was listening to you, I go, "That guy's a radio guy," because his voice. It's like, no, I'm dead serious. I had I'd run into you one time. You did a, uh, a, and it was good enough to remember your voice and stuff like that. But I can't say tell you what the content was. But that's the only other run-in I had with you, maybe two or three years before that.
1: All right. Well, thank you for telling the story. That pretty much lines with what I remember too. All I know, it was seismic. It was one of those, it was one of those big deals that when we started, we didn't have any idea how the journey that, that we were going to be on and what it would take us and where it would take us and how we would grow.
0: You're listening to the Ed Epley Experience. Email Ed now with your questions for today's guest to podcast at theepleygroup.com. In his book, Let's Be Clear Six Disciplines of Focused Management Pros, author Ed Epley breaks down key practices of professional management, how to implement them, and why it matters. Purchase your copy on Amazon.com today. Develop your competitive edge for the future while building a sustainable and thriving business.
1: So one of the things I know is you are a different manager and leader today than when we first started our franchise. How would you say you've most changed? Because you've changed a lot. But what, what do you think are some of the biggest changes you've made?
2: So I did a, um, I, and I, I've come to a couple of realizations about myself. I, I, I'm talking to this guy named Michael Hall down in Dallas. And he um, it's an assessment company called Culture Index. And he only works with certain companies. And he goes, I, before I even talk to you, I'm going to, I want to do one on you. And I said, all right. And he goes, have you ever done assessments? I said, no assessments on yourself, myself. And one of the biggest reasons, first assessment I did said I would fail at whatever I was going to. And that was getting into Carnegie. So he did one on me. He goes, you're an, um, you're an ambiovert. And I said, oh, an ambiovert. I, and I said the same thing. So what the hell does that mean? Right. And he goes, you have, extrovert traits, but introvert qualities. He goes, let me guess. He goes, you go do training or a talk. And afterwards, you'd rather not deal with anybody. You just go to your room and like stare at a wall, read a book. I go, it's exactly, you follow me around, right? He goes, you hate the network. I go, I hate the network. I He goes, do you tell people to network in your sales training? I go, I tell people to network all the time. I <laughs> said, but I hate the network, right? I, I think for me, in my journey, I've realized i realized the mistakes i made is trying to be over and extroverted, where I'm always trying to force my will on things and where I've changed more. And I said this morning to one of my folks is before I never really cared about people's ideas, right? Or, or feedback on some stuff. And I remember when Ed, we started to work with Ed, Ed would always ask everybody, hey, is there any, let me know if there's anything I can do to help, right? So I started asking that question. Then I, would, I kept asking, I go, geez, I hope they don't ask me. <laughs> I stopped asking the question. You really <laughs> don't I want to help really, yeah, You know what? If you don't have it now, I'm good. Not that I don't want to help people. I think what I've learned about myself and where I've changed is I'm more into letting people really state their case first before I force my will. And, understanding the fact that people birth their ideas and they're important and their voice is important that way it doesn't mean we're always gonna do it, it doesn't mean it's a sweet vote, but I think there's plenty of times in a small business where you can solicit feedback for people, allow them to check their brain in, win their heart a little bit. I've changed that way. I have.
1: Well, and I'm I'm guessing uh since you are moldable, you're you're teachable, you're you learn fast. Sometimes when you take that approach, you you actually Change your position. You you don't always end up where you were were going to end up.
2: Yeah, you know, and it, it kind of ties in right now. I've, I've been really hesitant to put out a position with diversity and inclusion because we do so much promoting our business. So I've reached out to anyone of color that I know, and I have three men on my team, two are African American, and then the rest of my organization's females. So I really wanted to understand. And, and learn and seek opinions. And one of the guys that works for me, his name is Amir Hill. I said, So, what is, explain to me, what is, help me understand where you come from. He goes, Lance, have you ever walked by a, a car and have people lock their door? I go, no, it's never happened to me. He goes, Have you ever gotten in an elevator and had a woman clutch your purse because your skin color? Uh, it's never happened to me. And I think about that, but I think of all the, and I think of, asking people what they think and what they feel is critical to mold the message. And I, I've changed before I would, I'd be like, yeah, that's, that's great. Thanks for the feedback. I'd be telling you versus
1: maybe selling you or asking you to join. You were accepting the feedback, but you weren't acting on it.
2: No, I wasn't. And because I'd already, I already come to a conclusion and I still do, but I need people to buy in, especially in uncertainty right now. I need all my people to buy into what's going on. One
1: of the Parts of the journey that I was along for was you went from being really involved in training to really in doing it to building a business where other people were selling and delivering it to now you've really honed in on and have become the preeminent guy in professional sports and sales training. And I mean, I I, I believe you've done business with over half the professional sports teams in the United States. How how, how did you how did you hone in on that?
2: You, you mean getting kind of getting the pro sports business or getting that? Business?
1: Yeah, well, yeah, and 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 I know you're interested in sports, but you're not a sports crazy guy.
2: I don't even watch pro sports right now, to be frank with you. <laughs> I like right. I Don't
1: I mean? It's- so how did you figure out? Okay, this is a sweet spot for me, and I can do this. As good or better than anybody, and and not only did you recognize the opportunity, but then you went and grabbed it. So help help me understand how that you know. And, and we don't have a lot. Of time. Yeah, no, no,
2: it's, it's a good question. I, th- I think when we were together, and and from the years that we were together, we were we were so generalist about things. Um, so our training business, we were generalist. We we did sales training, we did service, we did leadership. We we're all over the board. And being in you know a great operation like Del Carnegie, which is a great brand at the same time, they're, they try to be everybody, everything to everybody. So there's no focus. It's a shotgun approach. So I decided if I were going to do, if I was going to do this, well, I was going to hone in on a couple verticals and own yeah. the verticals. And we've always done a good job. To, you know, the Tyson group is, you know, if we're going to plug us, we're, we're very boutique, but at the same time, we're a top 20 sales training company. You know, we're also ranked by training industry as, as an organization that, we're on their watch list. So, so we're boutiquey, but we're very focused. And I, and I, and I believed, Hey, it's, it's more about that. Probably learned as much about that as from you as anything else. Cause you are always focused in Carnegie, strictly on leadership, right? So that's what's where you came from. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, my friend West guy, and I don't think I've had the uh, opportunity to, introduce you to, but one of the things he said, and I got to preface this, it's not diversity in, in people and, and ethnicity and that kind of thing, but it, but he always says diversity is the enemy of profitability. When when organizations try to be too diverse in what they offer and sell and promote, that it ends up costing them in, in profit and it's an opportunity cost. And, and so I'm glad your evidence for the audience that that probably is, is true.
2: Well, I, I think I think too what you said. What you said is so important. Like you know, a lot of people are diversified even in their investments. I, I think a yeah. lot of people that I that I know are you know who are really successful are hyper focused in their investments. So that's that's the other thing. And I I approach it that way. Not that we don't go after other industries, but that's where I made the change. Kind of be that specialist. You know, yeah. art surgeon may, probably makes more money than a generalist, right? So if
1: I we'd use that analogy, almost certain. Yep, I've heard you address this issue. In, uh, not just recently, but probably for two, three years about what's it like to manage and lead millennials. And a a lot of, a lot of people have the impression that millennials don't have putting up in air quotes for our audience, a good work ethic. What's, what's your, what's your response to that?
2: I think it's garbage. I think, I think the headlines in good morning America do not a millennial make. So we are told millennials aren't competitive. It's garbage. I think they are. I don't think they share their grades in college. And I think they hit their targets. I think, I think if you don't ask them their opinion, they're not going to do anything. I, I don't think that's any different from any generation. I mean, like, like, were we so that I just, I don't believe in it. I don't believe that hype. I'm, I'm just not as an individual, as an entrepreneur, I'm not into grouping people. I just that is one thing I refuse to do. Are there millennials that fit that profile? Yeah, but there's Gen Gen X's that fit that profile too. I think it's a very competitive group. I think the only thing with the millennials is if if you if you want to skew to an example, like look, they most of them played organized sports, so they like to know rules. If you're changing the rules on them all the time, it's okay to ch- to change the rules. Just let them know that you're changing the rules. You know, the other thing you got to consider with millennials is this, is most of them were the chief technology officer in their home from the time they were four years old. Hey, can you get me on the internet, dad? Right? They had a seat at the table. So give them a little seat at the table. Pull a stool up. Let them, It doesn't have to be with everything. But, but isn't that like, I mean, I follow your brand of, of leadership, like, ask people their opinion, get involved with the individual, don't eat alone, right? I mean, I I I just you you look at a company that has a culture, they either truly have a culture or they have a cult. Right? Yeah. And and yeah. I think when you look at great companies Ed, you talk about culture how important it is all the time, know your culture, asking people their opinion, getting involved with them and that's you can push on millennials, they're fine
1: if people would like to know more about that, have you written anything about that? Is there, are there any blogs or anything you have on that?
2: Yeah, I have a, a, a Tyson group, Ken Millennial Cell. Um, I have, I have an article that I talk about, even in my book, I talk about it also, Selling the Way Game. It's important. It's important to understand your people, but, you know, think about it this way. It, it's never, and I had learned this from you. It is not about motivating. It's about understanding motivation. And there's a, Distinct difference, a hundred percent. Like, and and motivation is not a one size fits most.
1: No, 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 God, it's
2: very individualized and takes a lot of time. So, if you're trying to use big groups and motivate a big group by, like, you know, I always say this all the time. A lot of sales companies will do contests and stuff like that to keep people engaged. Well, I have two people on staff that've been with me over a decade. One's Allison Schuler. She's our VP of training and strategy she loves contests she loves recognition it doesn't make her wrong or right, right. i got another one who's been with me 12 years jessica hates that recognition but neither are right they're both them and you got if you're going to manage them both you need to understand that
1: earlier we talked about your evolution as a manager and and how you've changed and i think you're highly self-aware in fact i got a i have a blog coming out soon on the the whole premise that i think the thing that separates great managers and leaders from good is how self-aware they are. If people want more about it, it'll it'll be out probably next week, but uh, and next week being r- around the, uh, the 1st of July. But we had this young man, Andy, who worked for us and he wanted to quit. And, and I remember you did not accept his resignation, which for people in the audience, number one, I don't know if anybody has ever refused to accept somebody's resignation. I know I've never refused. So you fought with this young man to stay part of our organization. He did some extraordinary things. Tell the audience about what you did.
2: So what Andy's resume was coming in, he played football at Mount Union. He was a critical part of that that's kind of a story division three program. They produce a lot of good great leaders and people of principle and things like that. And who he claimed to be. And he was letting himself off the hook of just hard work. That's not how he got the job. And I I basically said, you know, Andy, this is against how you got the job. This is not what you told us. And I I looked at him and I go,
1: if I can interrupt, essentially, he told you he was going to be a hard worker, give you his best effort. Now he's going to resign because he's not doing well. And he had not given us his best
2: perceived not doing well. So we realized, you know, we probably had to give him a lot more you know, feedback and stuff like that. And I looked at him and I said, well, I don't accept your resignation. And he was resigning, and I go, no, you're not. And I looked at him and I go, how would your mom and dad feel if they were sitting in this office right here? (laughs) And he put his head down. I go, that bad, huh? I'm pretty disappointed in you. I said, so if I called him, what would happen? He goes, well, you're not going to call him. I go, I said, but I don't accept your your resignation. So you might as well go back out there and get to work because, like, you're not quitting. It's just not going to happen for you. It, it, I would tell you, Andy, if you couldn't do the job, you're perfectly capable. So then I decided to – It's probably a line here somewhere. I, I'm, i like, looking on my desk for the line. So what I did is I called the Mount Union um, head football coach, and I introduced myself. and I can't think of the guy's name right now, and this is – I think so. And he, um, I introduced myself. I said, I understand you had a, a player named Andy work for you. And he goes, yeah. He goes, who are you? He goes, well, I said he works for me right now. I go, what made Andy good? He goes, he would just effing work his ass off. I go, what if I were to tell you that he started with us less than a month ago and he's, he's working, he's doing well. We think he's doing well, but he's giving up. He goes, can you get Andy on the phone? I go, sure. can went out to the pit with his manager and his manager, Tracy, his jaws open. She goes, you just called his football coach. I go, I did. <laughs> I, said, I said, what do you think she goes, This is really uncomfortable. I said, no, unorthodox, not uncomfortable. <laughs> so we marched out, got him and then he come in the office and I had, we had him on speakerphone. Andy had no clue. I said, Hey Andy, you're, uh, we have somebody that wants to talk to you. He's a little disappointed also. And Andy is Jaw dropped, and I said, I called the Mount Union football coach. Andy's football coach um, was not as nice as I was. And I thought, and he basically in a nutshell told Andy this was unacceptable <laughs> behavior from one of his former football players. And he fully expected Andy to give a full-fledged effort. And if he wasn't capable <laughs> of getting it done, we would let him know. And he believed our organization was an organization who would help him get to the next level. And he doesn't have to stay there forever, but he expects a greater effort. Andy Andy did well. He moved on over time, but
1: I I think that is one of the greatest examples of not all about that <laughs> Fully investing in your people to the point of knowing first of all knowing enough about him and who he was to know that you know he was he cared about what his parents thought but also knowing and, and being creative enough to and even to pick up the phone and call the, the head coach and and
2: yeah. And if you're listening here, like you got to understand also, like it, it sounds like it's off the cuff. Andy had indicated several times how important those things were to him. He talked a lot about his parents and how they raised him and things like that. So that wasn't a, and, and you might, if you're listening, you might go, well, that's manipulative. Yeah. Yeah. It it hundred percent is. The, the definition of manipulative, the manipulation, the first definition is to act in a skillful manner. That's the first definition. So, if you're criticizing me of being manipulative with that first definition, I fully accept it. Not the negative side. I wasn't trying to be dark.
1: Right. This wasn't about what was going to benefit our organization. It was about what's the right thing to do for this person and not let them give in too soon without really giving their best effort.
2: Right. And 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 that's and we had a call center where it was a, it was a money money ball concept where we were developing people, business professionals. That was the primary goal
1: man, we have running up against our, our end of time already. And I have so many more things I would love to delve into, but I have to be respectful of our audience. And we promise them always one proven approach or idea that would help them run a more successful and sustainable business. So Lance, if you could, if you you got other business owners, you got presidents, CEOs, or managers and leaders listening to this podcast, if, if they can only do one thing that will help them run a more successful business in your idea, what would it be?
2: I would tell all of you, get out of the idea that salespeople are born, they're built. And every time you allow a salesperson, you think you got to cowtail and build everything around them because they're holding your hostage, you're wrong. Salespeople are not. And, and, and with that, remember, the salespeople you have will never be as good as you because they're not going to have the enthusiasm and passion of your business that you have. But salespeople are built. They're not born, period.
1: If people want to reach you, Lance, what's the best way?
2: Lance at Tyson Group and TysonGroup.com or connect with me on LinkedIn at Lance Tyson.
1: And I'm Ed at Epley. If you need to reach me, it's Ed at the TheEpleyGroup.com. And we owe it to our audience to say thank you. We We always appreciate that you're out there listening. We want to always give you a good product and, and something that will help you run a more successful business. Hopefully today you agree with me that Lance Tyson did that. Lance, thanks for being with us.
0: Appreciate your time, Thank you for listening to the Ed Epley Experience. For more information on building a more sustainable, smarter, and healthier business, visit www.TheEpleyGroup.com for resources, tips, and Ed's latest blogs. That's the Epley, E-P-P-L-E-Y, group.com. Plus, take a free assessment at theeplygroup.com slash assessment to find out how you measure up as a highly skilled and accomplished manager and where to focus on improving your skills.